Welcome to Product Coffee, a podcast where product management leaders share stories, advice, and thoughts on all things product over a cup of coffee. Grab a cup of joe and join us to level up your product career 30 minutes at a time. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Product Coffee. I'm Kevin Gentry. I'm joined with, by Lou Cirillo, Zach LaGreca, and Jake Whirlin. And today, we're going to talk about changing the mindset of a company. Um, and specifically, what I wanted to talk about was how do you change a mindset of a, a company that's not necessarily product-led, but wants to be? Okay. So, so maybe a little bit more old school in their way of working on operating. Maybe they've been an organization for a while um, and, and they're kind of like trying to, you know, they're learning, they're seeing all of these great product led companies um, be successful and, 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 you know, um, all the benefits of that. So um, typically those kind of companies hire some, some folks like ourselves to kind of help, change that mindset. Um, but, but also just to, to contribute, but how do you do that successfully with an organization? What are some tools and tricks and tips that we can give to kind of evangelize, um, the product way of working? Um, and, and, and maybe we can kind of talk a little bit about what that means too, but, but let me ask the first question here. Um, have you guys ever worked at a company that was not product led? Um, yeah, I have. Um, one of the one of the companies I worked for was uh, a well-established grocery company that had been around for the b- better part of a century, um, and so their their operating model very much was not product-led in, in the kind of modern sense of how product management is run for, for especially for digital and software products. Um, this is a tough one. I feel like there's there's a lot of different answers to it. Um, I, I don't think it's necessarily something that's easy. Um, and I think it, it depends a little bit on the, the company and the leadership themselves. Um, the first thing that comes to mind for me is uh, kind of applying product frameworks with the goal of like giving outcomes to the leadership team. So much like uh, we would do with any, any product we're given, it's to think about how do we tell the story of if we have a product focus, what are the outcomes from that? versus the outcomes that we would have otherwise. And that's kind of really broad strokes, but um, putting together that story for like, here's going to be the outcomes of this organization if we operate in this new way. Um, And the one other thing I'd say is that uh, sometimes it can be helpful to prove out on a small scale before getting trust on a large scale. Yeah, I think it's like the typical business case, right? Like here, here, here's what you can expect, and and but I like the proving things out before you can kind of scale. Um, that makes a lot of sense. I think there's one other part here, which is you know why is the product management thing even beneficial in the first place? And I think what we're really all talking about is getting members of probably leadership who traditionally have had the onus to create strategy and democratizing strategy into smaller teams, right? That's kind of the onus of product management is to take corporate strategy and let it basically be executed, designed, and derived by pe- by people who are closer to the levels of work where the execution happens, right? It's not too dissimilar from you know, military, where if somebody were to micromanage everybody at the lowest level, uh, nothing would get done. So we 
divide up the hierarchy to your generals, to your officers, et cetera. With, and they all have kind of some level of individual control. But I think the challenge in that organization is really, can people be trusted? Can you trust that process and can you get comfortable with it? I think even when I started Ibotta, which was only you know, about a year and a half ago, right? Strategy was mostly owned at the higher levels. And if you wanted to break into that, like you really had to get yourself in the meeting, sit down, present your piece. And you may not have been the decision maker, but I think over the last 18 months, they've kind of noticed the, if they take a step back, the creativity can come from the bottom up and it starts benefiting the organization. And it also allows things to move faster but it definitely That's the whole empowered yeah. empowered team model, right? The new, exactly, the new yeah. latest and greatest Marty Kagan book. <laughs> um, I think that that's one. Of, I, this is the second organization that I've been at that hasn't been traditionally uh, built around empowered product teams and outcome based um, uh, kind of a focused roadmap. And it, the two things that I see most common are when I first joined the company, I get a prioritized feature list. And, and tell me, hey, here are the, your top priorities. Um, and, and so so I'm curious to see, has anyone else experienced that? And then if you have, how do you kind of like, again, change that mindset to say like, well, what is it exactly you want out of this and, and why? And then kind of, yeah, curious. I, I've never been handed a feature list quite like that, but my initial reaction to that would be just to keep asking why. Like, why? Why do you want these things? And I think it, it kind of goes back to the strategy being democratized, or not being democratized, but being directed as well. It's like, go build this, go do that. Like, we need to go hit these sales numbers. We need to go hit those revenue right. goals. Like, well, why? Like, what's <laughs> why? What's the point of it all? What are we trying to do? Like, and just, I think, I think it's more just being that person beating that drum of shifting the conversation to the why, to the problem, as opposed to, the stats, the business metrics. That would be my thought. Yeah, I think there's a, it's interesting because I've seen a lot of the feature prioritization happen. Some, I, at one company, they kind of did it with gut or with leadership, just saying, here's the most important thing. And I think, you know, because of this, and it was kind of just by driven by emotion. Um, the one that I, um, another one that I've been at, it's a, it's kind of driven by data where you'll have like one key metric that it's all oriented around. I think I bought it was there at a, a certain point, right. Where you had project priorities and you had like a LTV to CAC ratio for that. And that's what determined what got work on worked on. Um, and it wasn't necessarily what problem are you trying to solve and what outcome are you trying to drive? And um, we eventually got there with that organization, but that it kind of took that mindset from leadership to, to move, right? I mean, it's hard to do that from the bottom up as a, as a product individual contributor to say, and, and to kind of preach the, 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 um, um, the outcome driven roadmap and, and the benefits, right? I think it's not that it's impossible in any way, shape or form, but I think kind of, yes, two questions in here. One, which was, how do we get, how do you get a traditional focus team to start thinking about this democratized product level. And I think the answer is that you kind of have to be the force for change and you have to start showing them the benefit, take the initiative and gradually it kind of moves itself down. Right. I think if not for probably all of us at some point at Ibotta standing up and saying, Hey, Whoa, why are we doing that? And, you know, pushing our variant of the strategy, it probably would not have shifted. 
And then the second question I think you asked is, how do you get, how do you make some type of fundamental change in that corporate strategy that's even above where you are? I mean, I think that's one of those things where it's probably rare because the bigger the organization, the less top line impact you can make, you know, as if like kind of, it's like if you make the biggest impact in the world in Larry Ellison's organization at Oracle, uh, you know, you're not moving the needle at the top. Right. So there's, there's very few chances where that happens, but when it does, you know, what you can for larger of, organizations, yeah. I agree. Right. Um, I think with the smaller ones, I, I find that very common, um, from what I've experienced where, um, when you start asking about the why and the strategy, they don't actually have it. Uh, and it's kind of, you know, they hired you to build it, which is a, is a different way uh, of thinking. Um, so, which is great, but you kind of have to, um, you know, push that, that, uh, um, that philosophy, um, but in line with your, your leadership's, um, strategy sometimes is in their head, right? Sometimes it's written down if you're lucky. <laughs> sometimes they're just kind of, they have a great hunch or excited about something and, and they need you to kind of help them uh, manifest a strategy around it. Um, but I'm going to throw this statement out there and I would, I would love your guys' thoughts on this is one of the big challenges of facilitating this shift is it getting the company to think less about money and more about people? Maybe less about money and more about customers. Are, are you would, saying like people that like the, yeah, like the employees? Mm -mm. Customers, know. users, customers, who you're okay. solving problems for. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I would also argue it's getting the company to focus on longer term bets versus near term incremental Gains, increases yeah. in business. And it's kind of a, a risk and reward thing where a lot of times it's more, more sure to focus on the incremental um, yeah. versus taking, taking larger bets. One thought that came to mind, I mean, initially the, the cynical part of me is like, okay, so go join a, go join a company that's more willing to, to listen. But um, <laughs> I think, I think there are some things you can do regardless of the size of the organization and, one of those is um, look at frameworks that kind of can allow you to focus on both incremental and big bets um, to put together a strategy. And so this comes back to telling the story. I think uh, a, a big part of it is good listening as well. So you need to be able to truly listen to the concerns of the leadership team making the decisions and then distill that into, okay, so here's our current trajectory and here's where we think we could be. If we were to double down on focusing on the customer, the user experience, take some bigger bets, you know, lay out the risk and reward, but tell a story of a world where, you know, we are at the top of this mountain versus, you know, we've just gone a little bit of a ways up this hill and we're going to have to take some more risks to get there. But um, really laying out the vision and, and where you could be, that's part of, I think, telling that story in um, that especially when paired with the framework of, you know, here we're going to buckets, you know, 60% of our work is going to be to help us with our core business and incremental, but then we're going to set aside, you know, a certain percentage of our initiatives to focus on getting us to the top of this mountain. I think I agree with a lot of what you're saying. I actually taking Jake's concept to a slightly different side. I think what it is, is it's focusing on 
it's faster and more efficient for me to solve the problems that the company has by listening to the people in the organization than trying to solve all of them myself, right? Like that's kind of the, the fundamental shift I think that needs to happen. Jake's right. I think that it is people, but I think it's about not, you can focus on, you know, even the people at the top can be focused on customer problems. Like you can read the statistics and the analytics, but it's different being providing prescriptive solutions versus just saying, I've identified this problem and I trust that you will figure it out. I think that's the shift that I'm talking about the most, right? Yeah, like, how, yeah, but but I think you can get to that with what Jake was saying. And, and I think what we're all saying is continuing to ask questions, getting down to the root of the why, uh, but also like in, in parallel, um, um, preaching the value of an empowered product team um, and say, you know, here here's, you know, here's why you want to go do this. Let us go solve this problem for you. And, and let's not call it done until we solve the problem. Um, and then that new definition of done, but I think also what Zach was saying, painting this product vision, this, this picture of this future, what this could look like. And that's really one of our main jobs as product management leaders is the, uh, the storytelling, um, and, and making sure that you're really good at that. So you need to spend and focus your time on crafting that, uh, evangelizing it, um, and make sure that it's aligned with what leadership has in mind. Right. Yeah. A hundred percent. I think the, the one other thing that we haven't talked a whole lot about that I would offer up as something critical to making this shift is generating trust. Um, this like this shift implies company leadership trusting you and by extension the product team to go execute on things that they would normally have held much closer to the vest. Uh, so how how have you all built that trust and 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 acquired that autonomy for your team in the past? I think it's incremental. It, it's incremental proof. Oh, sorry, I'm gonna have a siren going by. <laughs> it's okay. It's it's audio flavor in the yeah. background, you know. <laughs> yeah, it makes it interesting. Um, <laughs> the company doesn't trust me, so <laughs> no. I was gonna say they're coming uh, for you. Yeah, they're totally coming <laughs> for me. So I was gonna say it's it's about building it incrementally, right? Like you don't you don't just get it overnight. Like trust me, please, and like okay, here you go. Like, that's not really how it works, right? You you have to make a bet, make a position, execute on it diligently. And then when you do that, they go, oh, wow, he was, you know, he was right. He did his job. That's perfect. And then you do that again and again and again and again. And eventually, you know, now you kind of, they can kind of know, okay, we can toss that problem over there. It'll get solved. It'll get you know, you'll communicate it regularly. That's a big part of it. Are you communicating the process? Are you being honest and transparent about the challenges? And if you're not doing all of that with it, it doesn't count. The problems then start to get bigger and bigger, right? Like maybe you bought, you, you start with a small one and you just prove that you'll deliver what you say you're going to deliver. And that could be as simple as I'm going to write you this email at before noon on Monday. I was just going to say that. Yeah. Do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's the small, like the small incremental pieces of trust that you can continually yeah. build up on. Right. Yeah. 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 I, I had similar thoughts. Like the first thing that came to mind is um, if you prove, prove it through being successful, even at a small scale that, that inherently builds trust. And then the other thing that you, you guys are all saying, I agree with as well is over communicate. Like, you know, communicate regularly more than you think you need to, um, very much, uh, keep them up to date. You don't, 
Uh, yeah, reliably, consistently. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, lay out your thinking and, you know, you can be confident. You don't need to run to them, you know, to answer all your questions, but bring them along for the ride. And, you know, I, I try and do a choose your own adventure with my communication style where it's like, you know, here's the TLDR, the short summary, some executives, like they just want to know the high level. And so give them that, uh, but then give some detail in like, you know, a longer section, something where they can really dive into it because that builds trust too, because some folks, especially at first, will will be hesitant to kind of let go of the reins um, when you're changing that mindset. And so then if they have the short summary for convenience, but sometimes they want to dig in and see, okay, how is he thinking about, how's he breaking down his experiments? Like, what are some of the details of the, the, the numbers that we're seeing from these products? Um, and obviously you have to make sure that what you're doing is, uh, makes sense too. Uh, but those, those steps will help build trust over, you know, period of months and especially, you know, on the longer timeline. Yeah. Yeah. So I think some, some core pillars here is just building trust with your leadership, but you can do so without, um, uh, a long cycle, right? Like just even with your communication, with your emails, what you're promising. Um, I do think, um, one call out, uh, being a, um, an aspirational uh, uh, um, leveling up type product manager and young in your career, um, you can typically take on too much. And, and I think that's worth calling out to say, make sure that you are able to stick to the commitments that you do commit to. So, so don't overcommit and under deliver, right? Um, <laughs> it's the, it's the reverse of that. Um, so um, yeah, I, but I do think that's a, it's a worthy call out because I think as PMs, we're very uh, ambitious and, and we want to say, yes, we want to be able to, to support and build that trust. But if we do that too much, we might uh, shoot ourselves in the foot because we can't stay true to our commitments, but yeah. Totally. Plus one of that, like, I think young PMs often can make the mistake of telling senior execs what they want to hear. And it's really hard to not do that. But in the long run, it is way, way better to say yeah. the uncomfortable thing now. But to your point, Kevin, it's like, all right, it's going to take you like a month longer than you probably want to hear. But that's the reality. And that's just how long yeah. it's going to take. Yeah. And I think that that fire that always is there, like we're always going to want to do that, especially in new roles with new leadership, you want to prove yourself. And that's, that's part of the, you know, the imposter syndrome that we all deal with uh, in, in our, in our heads. But I think the, uh, the, it's okay. It's okay to say, you know, I don't have the answer right now. I'm going to work through it and I'll get back to you and give them a reasonable time frame. Um, it, it's okay to do those things. Um, that actually shows a little more maturity in your product skills, um, but, but it does take time. It takes practice. It's just more getting in front of folks and, 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 and doing that frequently and consistently. I had a, it was actually a funny conversation with my manager yesterday. And what I was saying in it is we, I was talking about timelines, you know, you know, Hey, I'll get this over to you by the, uh, you know, at the end of the week, you know, et cetera, whatever else it is. And, and I was saying, you know, it's one of those things I've learned that this task is probably only going to take me one hour, maybe two. But I need, but I know now that I need to find that two hours somewhere in a week, and that is often <laughs> exactly. the challenge, and that's what I'm optimizing for. So it's not even a. I think that's a, a piece of advice to probably anybody who's looking at that is you may know the task won't take you long, yeah. but you still need to find the time to do it, and you should factor that into when you're going to tell somebody you're getting back to them. 
<laughs> those are like, those are the great opportunities though. You're like, I know this is just going to take me an hour. Like, or I know for sure, like I know exactly what this task is. I know exactly how long it's going to take me. So I can pick and choose and be 99.9% .9 sure I'm going to hit that mark when I set it. Like, those are great. Like keep those cards in your hand and play those as often as you can. And yeah. Yeah. I think that, well, one, I think we did get into a little bit of a rabbit hole that we could probably spin off into another podcast of just building trust. I think that's huge. There's a lot of good tips and tricks that we've learned in our career that, you know, I want to definitely share out. Um, but going back to, to changing that mindset, I think, like you said, trust is such a big pillar in doing that. Um, and, and, and I think going back to the vision, having that is pretty strong as well and a strong product strategy. Um, how do, how do product principles factor into this? Do you guys, um, is that common that, that companies have a defined set of product principles that we kind of guide decision-making? Um, I know it's preferred, but I, not ever, I don't see it in practice as much. I think to me, it, it comes back to the vision. I think they're related. Um, it's kind of what the vision looks like. Um, but the principles kind of describe how we work and how that vision comes to life. So I, I feel like they're, they're necessary, but they're interwoven with the product vision that, that you would put forward. I do think in some organizations that aren't really experienced in product or don't know, like, you know, maybe they come from a different industry and, you know, technical uh, product management is, is less of a, a major part of how they operate. I have seen kind of an absence of that model. There's, I mean, there's usually something in its place, right? Like every business is operating under some principles that kind of drive them towards outcomes. And so I think in the absence of product principles, uh, you can try to start to establish them. And that, that comes back to the storytelling of, well, why are we doing this? What are, what are the principles we're solving for? Like, how do we make trade-off decisions? Like what, what is more important to us and why do we choose the things that we need to do? Uh, and you can help instill like, here's, you know, I've laid out my reasoning here, are the product principles we're operating by um, those should connect to the business. You know, I think you can kind of get a sense for what are the business principles that people are making decisions against and see how you can tie those to the product principles. Um, yeah. yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I, I think the, uh, I'm in a, am I in a place now where I'm defining some of these things where, um, it makes me, you know, think about the past and, and, and what has been pretty true and things that, you know, the product principles and vision and strategy that was outlined and, and, and how I actually leverage that in my personal career, um, or my, my, you know, IC career as opposed to a management career. And, uh, it, it it's, it's very eye opening. It's a fun exercise to go through. I, I definitely encourage that for listeners to kind of, if you haven't gone through the exercise of building a product vision strategy and principles, um, go and do that. Um, if you can't for your own product, like just, you know, um, do it for the company that you're working for and see just going through that practice is a, is a, it's, it's been a lot of, uh, been a lot of fun for me. Um, but also I think that is your leverage to, to going back to the mind shift. That's your leverage to change the mind shift of the, co uh, the company and the business. That is your, almost like your product Bible for, for the business to kind of evangelize around and, and orient your flag in the sand, your kind of, um, long-term goal you're trying to get towards orient the whole business around that. 
Um, and that takes collaboration. That takes uh, a lot of deep thought as a product management uh, product manager that you don't necessarily have. Like Lou mentioned, the, the time that we have available is, is so scarce. So being able to carve that out and, and really uh, do some deep thought on, on some of these things that really matter and can make a difference in your product. Yeah, I just want to plus one. You don't have to be a manager of, of PMs. You don't have to be a head of product or a director of product or a group product manager uh, to do some of these exercises. And, you know, if, if you're even more junior or an, an individual contributor, put together your thoughts on the vision and strategy, especially if they're not super defined and the product principles you think you're operating under, because it's a good uh, exercise for practice of getting yourself thinking that way, um, which will help you become more likely to be successful if you grow into that role in the future. Um, and it can help you get alignment with your boss and with the leadership team to outline your thinking in terms of strategy and product principles and direction. And we'll help you kind of uh, calibrate and see if, okay, maybe there's some things that they would think differently about, uh, modify that approach and bring the new approach back. And that builds trust too. And so, yeah, even if you're an IC, definitely, definitely. Yeah, it's a great that. opportunity to level your career up and and, 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 and show your leadership opportunity in product and, and in your career growth in the, in the, in the organization. Well, let's, let's wrap this up. Um, do we have any kind of homework we'd want to give to our, our, um, listeners out there outside of just going through this exercise of the vision principles and strategy? Do we have any other, um, homework that will help them change their company's mindset? I would offer, do a little exercise to see if your company is product-led or not. Who's who's riding the roadmap? That's great. That's good. Yeah. Probably follow up that to say, make sure that you understand the difference between the strategy and the roadmap. And if you're not, if you're just being requested to write the roadmap, figure out what you can do to be involved in writing the strategy. Yeah, I like all those. Zach, do you add anything? Nope, plus one of those things. <laughs> plus one thing all is, those. Yeah, I, the last thing is, you know, throw your hat into the ring. Like if you're not uh, director of product, you can still put your thoughts together, share them uh, to contribute and, you know, be willing to step up and, and help. Um, and that's going to help you grow into uh, those things. And it's, it's going to build trust as you progress from, you know, a more junior product manager and IC into more leadership roles. Yeah, that's great. I think, you know, um, people are attracted to passionate people. And, and I think that's uh, something that you can kind of put forward with um, show the passion through the vision and strategy principles that you're writing. Uh, and while you're kind of pitching for this new empowered way of working uh, for your company and being the mindset, um, people will respond to that. Um, and hopefully positively, uh, <laughs> I haven't seen anyone in, in any case that I've been in, uh, respond negatively to that kind of, a, a um, initiative. Uh, um, so, well, it looks like we finished up our coffee. So, uh, go rate, subscribe us on all the, uh, platforms and, and fun stuff. Please share us out on LinkedIn. That's seems to be our platform of choice, uh, at the moment. So, um, thank you guys so much for all of your, um, participation uh in, in listening to this podcast sharing it out in linkedin uh providing comments it's been really awesome to hear some of the feedback um and yeah go level up oh.